everybody, it's the Love in Our Wake podcast and we're so glad you've joined us today. Together with Ben Teefy and Jason Aitchison, we are diving into theology to talk real life and to learn how we, like Jesus, can leave love in our wake. I'm Bethany Thompson. Let's go! go. Let's go. Let's go. Yay. A waza. How are we guys? Are we good? Doing good, doing good. Flourishing, flying, living the best life dream, living the dream. <laughs> <laughs> You've just joined in too. I feel like that was hippie vibes all the way. <laughs> I think yeah. I pushed the wrong audio button. This one went quite long. That was a bit no. weird at the end there, was, yeah, yeah, too. Yeah, it's really strange. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, awkward. Yeah. Anyway. Well, <laughs> well, it's because you're not a tech person. Oh, no, I, I pushed it again. <laughs> Welcome to the tech zone. <laughs> really happening today. Well, guys, if you tuned into last week, we um, had an episode which was virtual reality and we um, mm-hmm. pulled apart, pulled it apart it like in, a barbecue chicken, pushed it down <laughs> about virtue and, so, virtue. and so today we're talking about how how to cultivate this in our world mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, it's a good conversation, but mm. unless we can cultivate it, bring it in, knead it in even more. So let's pull apart that again. Guys, over to you. How do you think we can cultivate virtue in our world? Mm. Good question, isn't it? Is not not one you hear enough conversation about. Like I think some yeah. people some people are like, Oh, I don't put any effort into doing that, you know, mm. like they don't really you know, it's like a foreign idea. What? Cultivating virtue, cultivating mm. Christian virtues or the virtues. And then other people, they're like, you know, they leave it over to the sovereignty of God. If God wants me to be more patient, you know, well, well, if he does, he'll just make you suffer, by the way. And then he'll loop that around until you learn your yeah, lesson. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Grind you into the paint right. and then you'll be the most patient person on the planet. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Just pray for patience. It'll happen. Oh, yeah, that's right. Only the foolish do it, pray for it. it. Pray for it. <laughs> you know what you do? If someone really annoys you, you just pray, God, make them more patient. <laughs> that'll that fix right? them. Fix them. <laughs> and God's totally going to answer that, you know, that selfish prayer that you're playing. <laughs> it's like back at you. Explains oh, my life. So God, God hits you with a draw four. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. I've got a you know reverse. <laughs> so cultivating the virtues. Well, interestingly, you know, James K.S. Smith, he has this quote. He says that, um, that virtues are something we have to be trained and educated in like other forms of life. And he talks about them as moral muscles, right? And mm. he says that moral muscles are trained in the same way biological muscles are. So it's a process of development, practice, uh, virtue acquisition is a large factor of the conversation, which does match the historical, what the philosophers have said about the virtues. Um, And there's sort of, you know, there's an assortment of historical approaches to how we cultivate virtue. But what is interesting is most of them have been taken up by the church over church history. And if you read the New Testament, this is what people find confusing. You know, we talked last week about the the extremes of antinomianism on the one hand, law, uh, the absence of law. I just do whatever I want. There's no rules for me. Mm. And legalism on the other, which is like laws. But in the middle is the cultivation of being a virtuous person. Mm. That you can do whatever you want when you've internalized the highest moral good because what you want is innately good. Yeah. And we live in a universe of virtue, which is why in Genesis 1, when God creates, he says, it is good. And people made in God's image and designed to be virtuous. That's why they are very good made in God's image. So the big question for us is how we do it. So I think it's it's probably worth bearing in mind what the historical approaches have been. And there's mm-hmm. numerous ways that philosophers over the ages have said, look, these are the ways we've researched and sweated over to work out how do people cultivate virtue. And it's worth noting that that they're cultivated. You don't think your way into it. It's not just, oh, I read a book and now I'm cool. That's a cool um, thought, yeah. And you don't just like, also neglect it and imagine that if you neglected it, you're going to do it any more than that gym membership sitting in the top, top drawer is any good to you. You know, yeah, you can right. say that by February because everybody stopped going. Mm. <laughs> I only just started. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. 
Yeah. So Aristotle's approach was that, um, you know, that the role of education and habituation is massive mm. in virtue acquisition, right? That actually you've got to learn what the virtues are. You've got to be learn about them. You've got to focus on them and think about them. You've got to wrap your head around it. Then you've got to make a concerted effort. I'm actually going to roll these into my life, which is about practice and about repetition and saying, hey, if I was virtuous, what would those habits look like? And really, mm. you know, for us as believers, not you know, we're not disciples of Aristotle, but we are disciples of Jesus. And the essence of discipleship is being a learner. That's why the Greek word for disciple is mathetes in the New Testament. That is, mm. you're a student, you're a learner, you're a student enrolled in the school of Christ. You're an apprentice to Jesus. And being an apprentice means I am now learning how to wrap my life around the, the king of God's kingdom and live a kingdom of God life. Mm. Yeah. So therefore education like what am i how am i going to understand virtues i find that really interesting how a few weeks ago we were talking about that love is one of those things that we learn like love in our relationships and how mm, to be mm, mm. like a person that loves my partner yeah um that this is still the same kind of i yeah. guess thought is that mm, virtues mm. are what i've learned and that you know that self-reflection and and as you dive into it it's still an educational process, yeah, not feelings based. That's right. That's right. And that's the difference, isn't it? That if it's just oh, I'm feeling patient, so I will be patient, you know, or or if I felt more patient, that would be a virtue. No, it doesn't really matter what you feel. It's like what habits have you acquired, you know? Mm. And um, we always talk about this thing, you know. You know, I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast, but we've certainly talked about it not on the podcast, which is that leadership is a behavioural thing. So, mm. so you know, yeah. leadership is. You're behaving and the sum total of your collective behaviours is what makes you a leader or not. Not feeling, not even the title, not the position, actually no. the behaviour. You're a leader because of the, what your behaviours are saying and that will give you influence. And the, the virtues are the same. They are skills that you acquire. So therefore, being patient, that's a skill. Mm. The more you practice patience. Let's just, like, let's just talk about patience because I reckon is, it's probably one of the harder virtues to cultivate because by the time you realise you should have been more patient is usually because you were acting impatiently. Yeah. <laughs> and but So it's a good case study on, you know, let's just say, okay, Bethany, you make a choice next week. You want to you become a more patient person. You don't want to wait for God to cause you to suffer and grind you into the pain. So you're going to cultivate the virtue of patience. What do you do next? But I think there's several things you can do. Certainly you can pick up a book and read it. And get some mm -hmm. knowledge on mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing is you can get around people that you know are really patient, hear from them, ask some questions. Mm -hmm. Like even in my parenting journey of recent times, I'm very likely to pick up a um, pick up my phone. I rang someone the other day, give a shout out to Kathy Troop, and um, was mm -hmm. like, rah, 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 like you know. And then she sent me back an awesome text message that you know kind of helped in the journey. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I think you can do is also just become aware of the circumstances you're currently going through and mm -hmm. looping through, mm -hmm. and create a um, kind of another pattern to go through them and an option. So instead of just getting into the circumstance and going, I'm going to loop back through this like we normally do, but pre-plan, what am I going to do when I'm mm -hmm. there? Mm -hmm. And I think that's where imitation and, you know, knowledge helps and yeah. having learnt some information that you can actually use because likely is the reason that I'm impatient is because I, I haven't got what it takes at the moment inside of me at times. It's like I actually need to grow. Yeah. So how do we grow? Mm -hmm. Talk to people. We, you know, spend some time with Jesus in that space as well. So, um, and then learn. So I feel like that's some of the things that I would do mm -hmm. or have done. Yeah, that's really cool. 
Uh, How about you, Jace? What, what do you do? You, you become aware, you know what, I could really grow in this. Or let's say God convicts you, all the circumstances of life demonstrate to you, oh man, you need to grow in this virtue or whatever. Mm. How do you grow in that virtue? Yeah, I guess for me it is like, again, educate yourself, mm-hmm. um, but then strategize. Mm-hmm. So for example, years ago, I didn't want to, use foul language mm-hmm. uh but i was quite accustomed to doing so mm. and so it. <laughs> yeah it's just like working with bethany actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like yeah I, and, I, and i didn't want to do it anymore and so i tried to change my language but mm-hmm. also change the manner of my thinking and so when i think about being a patient person like my family we're quite um, especially my. I'm just waiting for these next phrases. I find this so interesting. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're quite abrupt people, right? Like my right, my right. my growing up, my parents would yell and scream, and we'd be quite uh, reactive people mm-hmm. with uh, mm-hmm. frustration and anger. Yeah. And so, um, I tried to be aware of my internal or my my emotional state and so like my mm. ears would mm. heat up or yeah, I could, yeah. yeah yeah like i would feel sure. my test touch my chest yep. tighten up and those kind of things and so ultimately i was just trying to make sure that i was more aware of mm. what is happening mm. in my emotional space and like my physical self and so then in turn i would make changes in my life and set strategies to make sure that i didn't get to even that point Mm. so that if i didn't want to be angry and like reactive i made sure that i would pull back before i even got to a point where my chest gets tight and my self-awareness man something about it something about it yeah and so developing a a sense of patience i would well i have um just you know self-talk and like oh no it's okay you know like we've got a process and i set processes up and things like that yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, Have so you ever had someone keep you accountable? Yeah. Because obviously that can help us too. Like if I want to grow in patience, I Not by also. choice. <laughs> <laughs> Not by choice, but mention it to Do you mean to really? Like someone just went, with. hey, stop doing that. Yeah, yeah. Wow, 100%. interesting. But I do feel like you can do that in your life as well. If I want to well, grow patience. Was one of them. Hey, shout out to that man. Um, <laughs> but I could also, if I want to grow in patience, go, hey, awesome husband, if you see me losing my patience and mm. you know getting a little bit irritated can you just go hey you know like just totally give them something to say to you that might help like yeah. whether it's just like hey just don't forget or if you want to change your language he beats you until you do wow um, lovingly lovingly <laughs> I don't, I don't know, know if we're talking about, about the same that. man oh, right now. <laughs> we were a lot younger. <laughs> so hilarious. interesting what you guys have talked about, right? So this is like the, the huge role that awareness plays in the process of, yeah. um, you know, virtue acquisition or even any type of change really. Like it's 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 possible to change without being aware, but mm. it's sort of like... I feel like that's so unlikely. That's though, when the circumstances of life change you, right? So people who yes, really go yes. through difficult suffering, sure. they come out with that transforms them, but they didn't yeah. choose to do so so then it's like well i'm not just going to leave it up to the 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 slings and arrows of outrageous fortune to change my life so if i want to grow in something what happens you have to be aware of it so interestingly Mm. enough um that there are there's some quite a lot of research on change right how do you successfully change because one of the things that plagues humans is failed attempts to change aka new year's resolutions right people always make a choice i want to do this i want to grow in this you know from from physical health to nutrition to um you know what we're talking about the virtues right and behavioral traits um people who know they've got destructive cycles in their life that they need to get out of right and they fail to change so virtue acquisition is a good exercise to go through the steps of change so interestingly right um 
Morrow, William Morrow, and his, uh, you know, associated authors <laughs> at L, Prochaska and Norcross and Di Clemente, they outlined that there are numerous stages of change, which is about, they number about six, right? First wow. of all, there's the pre-contemplation stage, the pre-contemplation stage. And that's where you're, where you're basically your default setting, right? You don't know a problem exists or you just go, that's how it is. It's like, you know, my mm. genes or my family or this sort one. of stuff, yep. right? So that's called the pre-contemplation stage. You haven't given any thought to the fact that change might need to happen, right? And so what, what if you stay in pre-contemplation on any given issue, you are unlikely to change, right? So that's why Absolutely. we yeah. wouldn't say pre-contemplation. We would say, oh, you've got to admit you need help or you've got mm. to admit that sure. something, right? So that's, that's why like admission and recognition is so important because it's got to move from pre-contemplation to actual contemplation. Yep. Yeah. Thinking. You've, you've got to be aware of it. It's got to be something in your mind. So contemplation is that you recognize there's a problem. You try to understand the basis of it and you make uh, – plans that it's going to change you don't know what those plans are yet but you decide oh man something's got to change yeah right? yeah that's right. i remember in my early 20s my wife challenged me because of my self-medicating drinking and drug taking behaviors and also spending three nights a week you know till the pub by sunrise type of thing and she decided it's got to change or we're changing you know mm. and then so i was like okay so that takes me to the contemplation phase all right something's got to change i've got to stop being a depressed traumatized drug addict i had no idea how that was going to happen unfortunately you know the gospel intervened but it brought Thankfully. me to Good. contemplation oh there's a problem it's got to change yeah the next phase is preparation right and that involves i'm going to set a time frame yeah and a strategy and a plan, right? So this is preparation. And formally, preparation is setting setting a time frame for action, announcing the intended behavior, which means, you know, you're going to go to somebody close to you in your world, your loved ones, your family, yeah. your accountability partner. Hey, this is what's going on. I'm going to do it, right? And in the preparation stage, you make a plan of action. Yep. And Smart. you articulate coping strategies for failure, right? So this is how they've researched what successful personal change initiatives have if you want to change, right? So wow. there's plenty of failed attempts, but this is the process to change. Win. <laughs> go from contemplation, sorry, go from pre-contemplation to contemplation, then from contemplation to preparation. So mm. all change, right, is not spontaneous. It requires focus and thought beforehand, yeah. right? Which is important in the church because how many times do we get told, come to this event, it's going to change your life, it's going to be life changing. It's like, man, I've been to 127 life-changing things, but my life never changed. Yep. Yeah, because you didn't contemplate properly and mm. you didn't put any preparation in. So life is just a series of events that change your emotional state but not your traits. Yeah. Okay, so preparation. Mm -hmm. The next one is action, right? And that is the commitment of time and energy required to change and um, benefiting from progress, mm. the momentum of progress, and from encouragement and support of the people that you announce the change to, right? So that's announce action. the change to. So I the formal like language, often do that. The formal language is announcing the change, right? Well, well, if you don't announce the change, you're less likely to actually change it, they say. So... But you don't is have to right? tell someone because announcing change could be, you know, they say if you don't write your goals down, you're unlikely to reach Correct. them, right? Because yeah. writing it down is announcing the change. So yeah. you don't have to tell anyone okay. else. It doesn't have to be a public fair, announcement. Fair, fair. That's, but a, it's good, more, that's a good summary or something. You've got to articulate yeah. here's what has to change. So yeah. it's formal language is gotcha. announcing the change. Um, so that's action, right? So there's contemplation, preparation, action. And yep. the next one is maintenance, right? Once the Once the process of change once you've taken action and begun to take action then you maintain this is called maintenance you maintain that action yeah wow. okay 
So for argument's sake, okay, I'm going to go to the gym every Monday, every Wednesday, every Friday. Oh, I'm not doing this, but I'm never doing this, by the way. <laughs> but that's just a hypothetical example, right? So I do it, but I have, can't say I've changed if I do it one week. It's got to be mm. like my, I have to maintain that behavioral activation. Totally. Sure. I'm doing this for the articulated yep. period of time. That's right? very good. Um, and understanding how this process works is scientifically proven to reduce relapses, right? Which means like if you, you don't go back to how you were before, if you go through this process, this is what the You're also probably is. likely to catch yourself more quickly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, they say this plan, you should do this plan for six months. And if you do this plan for six months, then that's it. You change it. habit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Is this because you can articulate it to yourself as you've written it down? Like you've contemplated your preparation, mm-hmm. action, maintenance. Yeah. Like because you can now articulate it to mm-hmm. yourself mm-hmm. and remind yourself of why we're doing Like, you know, in my head I go like, why are we doing this, Jason? Yeah. You know, why yeah. do we yeah. do that? Yeah, that's right. Um, is, is that why that works so mm. well? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because you've – so one is contemplation. You've properly thought it through. You've given it focus and you've mm-hmm. asked yourself, mm-hmm. what are the costs of doing this change, right? And you know, well, I'm going to have to do this. And then you've thought through, well, what are the costs of not changing? Oh, well, if good I don't question. change something, you know. So that's like – that's that's question. contemplation, right? You know, Jesus said you don't build a tower without counting the cost, you know. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people, like they fly off the handle and they fail to grow or change in something because they haven't done this process properly, right? So the research says, why do people fail to change? Because they don't do these steps. It reminds me of that um, statement, if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. Yep, you know exactly. that one? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, lack of preparation, then lack of action, mm. then lack of maintenance. And people think, oh, well, I've changed now. So so what you find in rehab programs is people come in and in the early stages of a rehab program, they, they break that compelling emotional hold of an addiction on their life, right? So they might, they might let's say if it's like narcotics or something or alcoholism, mm. they mm. break the physical dependency first. Then the next sort of concentric circle out is the emotional and psychological crutch, right? So the physical dependency is gone. They're no longer actually physically addicted. Mm. But that that recovery is as good as their next emotional slump. And mm. then, oh, they have a bad day and suddenly they want to go back and get on the booze or get on the you know, mm-hmm, turps mm-hmm. or smoke weed or whatever, right? Or on the chocolate. Or, you know, I mean, yeah, there's, there's <laughs> yeah, all sorts of other addictions. Right, yeah. But it's like the physical thing is broken, mm. but the next one is you've got to persevere through that emotional slump right yeah Mm. and so the window is that they think they've recovered because they broke the physical addiction right oh yeah i haven't done that for a couple of months or whatever right so then they go and they leave these programs or they stop going to their aa meeting or they stop being accountable then they hit a wall they have a stressful day and boom they relapse and they go straight back to the pub or they get back on the drugs there's a tremendous Mm. failure rate and one of the reasons is because they don't persevere during the maintenance phase where they say, oh, I've got to actually do these habits for at least six months. Mm. So if you look at Teen Challenge, it's sure. the world's most successful um, narcotics rehab program on the planet, right? They have they routinely out-succeed every other type of drug rehab program. Wow. One of the reasons is it's a 12-month program. Mm. Right? But mm. routinely, routinely people come in and then within the first three months they think they're better now and then they don't like the restrictions of the program. It's you know controlling help, it's residential. It, yeah. They leave, they go home. Most of those people end up back on drugs when they do that because mm. they don't have a maintenance program in their life. They're not maintaining the change. You've got to maintain that stage for at least six months to say that you've changed. And then there's six the months, termination yeah. phase. The termination phase is the debrief phase where you say, um, I have actually changed and you debrief with yourself. The impetus to do this behavior or the, mm-hmm. or the um, margin for growth in this behavior has been achieved so I can now move on to a new area of growth and change, right? And sort of giving yourself that mm. 
reason that's to move interesting on. i'm just thinking my brother um he used to say, you know, if someone asked you, are you a reader? He'd typically say, no, I'm not a reader. Like I don't really read books. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to change that. And so he started putting in habits and making a plan to make sure that that's not the case. And he's yeah. read a bunch of books. And now if someone says, are you a reader? He goes, yeah, I'm a reader. Yeah. But I feel like he's embraced that change because he's gone, yeah, I can look back on yep. my yep. those different 100%. seasons of planning or putting it in place of maintaining it to then now. He's read all of the Lord of the Rings and all these <laughs> other things that he's wanted to read and and then go, oh, I'm confident that I'm mm-hmm. I'm now a reader. But yeah. it's like standing on that, I was like, wow, I really like that too. It wasn't, oh, I didn't used to be, and I, I kind of am. It's like, no, no, like I've made a change. Like I just yep. think that's a yep. really cool. Yeah. I, when I used to run the Bible College in Brisbane, this is – Many moons ago, this is one of my grandpa rocking chair stories. <laughs> one, one of my specialties was if you said, no, nah, I'm not a reader. I'd be like, oh, I could make you a reader. No, no, you can't make me a reader. Okay. But the thing is, you know, a reader is not a genetic status, right? Mm. And yeah, even yeah. whether you've got, you know, dyslexia or other cognitive, yeah. you know, challenges with reading, doesn't mean it's not challenging, but actually most people can become a reader. Yeah, I read. absolutely It's agree. actually, it's usually poor habituation in reading that makes someone go, oh, I'm not a reader. So uh, yes, you are. You could read something if you're interested enough and want to enough, and you have a good enough yeah. a good enough yeah. um, arrangement of things. So absolutely, the key... finding your taste and yep. like yep. as a person who has the dyslexia and mm-hmm. wasn't a reader until mm-hmm. recently over the mm-hmm. last twelve mm-hmm. months. Mm-hmm. Um, really? It's yeah. You were not a reader prior to twelve months ago. Yeah. Wow, that's so fascinating. <laughs> Why do you think he pushes the door every time it says pull? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't read at all. Like, <laughs> I was still That's on funny. ABC. Um, well, but, but yeah, but it's like it's habit acquisition, right? So what makes you a reader or not is not. Oh, I find it hard, or I don't want to. You know, most people are. Oh, I'm not a reader. It's just like no, no, you haven't learnt the joy of it yet but yeah, we can make right. it a life-giving joyous experience by Absolutely. cracking the personal code what would it take to make you into a reader that is possible for every person 100 mm. yeah. but going back to patience and developing a contemplation preparation yep. action yep. maintenance termination mm-hmm. um how do you apply that in the sense of becoming a more virtuous patient person yeah well that's a that's a great idea so the first one is this right if you want to cultivate a virtue let's just say patience but it could be yeah, any, any virtue yeah. right we don't love it at all. Oh, it's <laughs> patient. Um, is okay. So let's talk about how you apply it. So the first one would be, if I sit in a let's say I sit in a church service and someone preaches a sermon on patience, right? Yeah. And then I go, oh, that's it. I need to become more patient. And I'm mm. going to sit there and I'm going to pray, God, at the end of their message, God, please make me more patient. <laughs> Amen. And then I'm going to say to someone on the way home, yeah, I'm really working on my patience. But the truth is, I'm not doing any of that, right? It's like one thing that happened. Mm. So that is not how you change. But it's almost like in the Christian world, we've taught people that's how you change, like yeah. like these spontaneous responses to things. Mm-hmm. The best thing to do, this is how you truly change. That sermon only does one thing. It takes you from pre-contemplation potentially to contemplation, right? Mm. It moves you one step in the line, possibly. If you don't do anything about it, it never even moved you into contemplation. If all you do is pray the prayer in the sermon, then it's like, okay, by lunchtime I've forgotten about it. And cognitive science tells us that within seven days – your brain has pruned 90% of what you heard unless you've taken specific um, steps to maintain awareness or memorization of it, mm. right? And other yeah. than like life-death experiences or extreme emotion and phobias, you yeah. don't remember stuff. So without repetition and focused memory, right? So yeah. as soon as you learn something new, it becomes real estate in your brain through your neural pathways and your neural connections. But within a week, 90% of them are pruned. Do you know totally. what pruning is? Pruning is overnight while you're asleep, your brain goes through cleans house, defrags the hard drive. It removes unused neural 
dendrites, little branches that your brain cells grow overnight. It removes them. That's why you learned someone's name last week, right? And then you came back this week and you couldn't remember the name. Have you ever had that experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, absolutely. I routinely have that experience, yeah. right? And unless you make a conscious effort to remember their name, you've forgotten within a week. Do you know why you'd forgotten? The minute you met them, your brain grew a new little neural dendrite, a branch of brain cells somewhere. Sometimes it feels like it doesn't, but yep. <laughs> no, it does. It does if you go, oh, your name's Bob. Cool, good to meet you, Bob, right? Okay, yes. boom. As soon as that stimulus happens, something changes in your That's brain amazing. through experience. A plastic brain experience shapes your brain. However, wow. that night when you go to sleep, your brain combs through all of your neural new neural connections and decides do i need to keep any of this or can i chuck it right Mm. and if it and if your brain hasn't experienced strong emotion strong repetition or some other Mm. strong like you've got to send your brain the message i really want to learn this right you do that in school because you're cramming for your maths exam right yeah and so the emotional fear of failure yeah (laughs) yeah and then the repetition and then visualization all these things that makes you remember it for your maths test because you've sent your brain the message don't prune this one by tomorrow morning. Keep this memory, right? Yeah. That's just physical real estate in your brain. So um, you go to sleep and then your brain prunes that dendrite and it flushes into your bloodstream, which takes it to your bowel. And the next time you <laughs> do number twos, that ends up in the toilet, right? That's, wow. that's how knowledge gets forgotten. Really? <laughs> yep. That's amazing. It's called dendrite, dendrite pruning. Your brain does it every night. The only reason your brain doesn't prune something is... Your emotion spikes enough that the brain goes, oh, hang on, she's interested in this one. Or you repeat it enough that your brain goes, oh, I'm getting a message. They want to hang on to this or something else. Mm. Right? So it piques your interests enough or traumatizes you. You know, like it's yeah, really absolutely. difficult to forget trauma because of the strength of emotion that takes up real estate in your brain that your brain doesn't prune. So anyway, why we're saying this is because most people's failed attempts to change begin at the pre-contemplation stage and they have that, oh, I need to work on patience, right? Okay. Mm. That experience changes your plastic brain. Your neuroplasticity then starts to respond to that. However, you've got to do something more than go, oh, it'd be cool to change. Otherwise, by the time you wake up within a week, right? So within a week, unless you've told your brain to keep something, you know, through compelling means, gone. you've pruned 90% of your new information, mm. right? You know, that's why. Can you remember what you learned in grade eight biology in week six? No. Mm. <laughs> it's pruned, man. <laughs> so That's um, really interesting. Yes. So mm. what we're talking about then is working out sometimes I think I want to change because I become aware of an issue, right? Mm. But I've got to go from pre-contemplation to contemplation, which means I have to think about it deeply. And that's what mm. I believe Aristotle means when he says it's about education and contemplation um, and habituation. He's saying you actually have to think about this a lot. You have mm. to understand the topic, right? So yeah. if you want to grow in patience, this is, this is, the, this is what you do. You think a lot about patience. You learn the subject matter of patience, right? You learn what does patience mean? Who That's is patient? Who mm. isn't patient? You learn the theory of it in the Aristotelian method, right? That's why it's called education. But so mm. an example of that would be, well, I'm going to read all the scripture verses on patience yeah. and related things, right? I'm going to read I'm going to read that. Then I'm going to understand that. Oh, I'm going to look up the Greek word. Now, if you start doing that, you're not forgetting about it, right? Because you're maintaining it in the front and center of your focus. And Kurt Thompson, he's a psychopharmacologist, he says this, what you give repeated focused attention to shapes your brain. You become what you pay repeated focused attention to. That's mm. really interesting. Mm. Isaiah says it this way, if you worship an idol, which is a block of wood, right, it's deaf, dumb and, and, and blind, then you become spiritually deaf, dumb and blind as well because what you give focused attention to shapes you. Wow. 
Yeah. So it's, it's um, you know, from pre-contemplation to, oh, maybe I need to work on this, but it's got to go forward. It's got to go through contemplation, think it through, which is the preparation phase in the, the model for change we talked about, right? The preparation mm. phase is make a plan, think about it, learn about it, ruminate on it, chew it over in your mind, meditate on it. Interesting too because you're saying that someone's immersing themselves in an environment and you know when uh, I feel like it's a very youth pastor thing to say but it's it's just normal in life but you become who you hang around mm-hmm. because yeah. you're immersed in that thing. Yeah. Yeah. And like even for me, like if I want to learn something or if I'm really interested in something, I'll just like consume a bit of content on it yep. and it just starts to sink in. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I know that if I keep doing that, then it makes a huge difference. But again, it's mm-hmm. that kind of you become who you hang around or you become what you yep. hang around. Yep. And I feel like yep. it's that kind of principle, isn't mm-hmm. it? A bit mm-hmm. that you just immer- – what you immerse yourself in, you ultimately do well, take that is shape, actually take interestingly, shape with. That's point two of the traditional historical way that the philosopher said you acquire virtues through imitation and relationships, right? Mm. You hang around with people who value that same thing. Its formal language is mimesis in the, mimesis. In the philosophical mimesis. world. And in the New Testament, it's called mimesis. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Mm. That's the Greek mm. word mimesis. Copy me, follow my example. And that's the thing about being a disciple, isn't Amazing. it? Being a learner. We are followers of Jesus, not just thinkers about Jesus. Yeah. You know, so That's it's like we're actually imitating mm. and where there's mimesis involved. And so it's called mimetic learning. And um, the philosophers, especially Plato and Aristotle, they acknowledge role models play a crucially important role, right? Yeah. Who you hang around shapes your life. If you don't swear and you hang around with swearers, you do. Yeah. If you are not materialistic, but you hang around with people who are materialistic, you become materialistic. So, But if you hang around with people who are like, hey, bro, calm down, it's not that bad, that mm. points out to you, oh, yeah, I need to be more patient. And is that where the emotional connection comes into play as well? It's like, oh, that's not okay here. Um, in yeah. those kind of things. Yep. And yep. so, like, you start to action mm. those behaviors. You're like, oh, yep. we're, we're not impatient people. You know, we're loving yeah. people and yeah. those kind of things. Yeah. And so you start actioning as you dislike the behaviors around mm. because people around you are disliking those behaviors. Yep. yep. Yeah. And your brain has mm. architecture for this, right? We have mirror neurons in the brain whose job it is. Mirror neurons are constantly scanning and the people that you most love, admire, respect, like whatever, your mirror neurons, like your brain, scans their behaviours and their, mm. their vibe, right? Mm. And inside you replicates that same thing. Mm. That's the neurological architecture of change is that you become like who you hang around because your brain has your brain go, like, picks up someone's vibe it picks up the mean average of the group that you're most, you know, attracted to and then it transforms you into that mean average. Mm. So so therefore, if you just hang out, you have a really patient mentor and you say, oh, I'm going to try to be like this person. You don't even have to tell your brain to do that. It will actually do it. That's Which then is why the principles of change are much the same because your yep. brain knows what to, to do in yeah. the sense that, okay, we're immersing ourselves in this. All right, I'm going to become like yeah, this. Exactly. There's already those little mm, pathways mm, that are... Mm. Working in other areas of our life. Mm. Yep. Now, most people, those mirror neurons are acting negatively, right? Because mm. what am I putting in front of me most of the time? Social media influences that are narcissistic, self-absorbed, plastic surgery enhanced, right? So, so you funny. know, money and girls and mm. YouTube, like all that. So culture is broadcasting stuff all the time and that is leveraging where changing you into something, right? Mm. And what I have to do is reverse leverage that and go, hang on, but I'm going to choose what I get changed into and so i'm gonna i'm gonna you know i'm gonna run this through my head and give it focus contemplation that's education and and reflection i'm gonna hang out with the right people i'm gonna have the right mentors and the right role models and that is mimesis that's like imitation the power of mimetic learning i feel like this just makes me want to kind of go pause you know i'm hanging out with 
what am I immersing myself in? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and mm-hmm. have that like little self-reflective yep. moment. Yeah. And kind of go, oh yeah, like, and and then even it'd be interesting too to kind of do a an analysis on like the last year and look how we changed and then go, oh, that was because I also Mm, hung out with that mm, person. mm, That's because mm. I consciously chose to do that. Because sometimes our change is very conscious and sometimes it's that we kind of deeply know some of this content Mm, that it mm. does happen. Like we're being unconsciously purposeful, if you know what I mean, like intentional in our world. And so I feel like it'd be interesting to look back and go, oh, yeah, that's how I changed and these are the few reasons why. Mm. And then, then even more intentionally to look at this year and think, well, how am I going to change? Yeah, absolutely. Even if even you know we're a month into the year now, and like our first conversation of like, oh, I want to be a more loving parent and mm. things mm. like that, you know, a more virtuous person or mm. whatever, you know. Like, I think it's really important to assess and look into and make sure asking those questions: Am I around those right people? Am I doing the things like for me right now? I'm going through a season of like, oh, looking at you know, what my behaviors and what I'm doing and that kind of thing. And so acting on that contemplation and preparation and action and maintenance and mm. termination, like it's an active process that we take yep. in every yep. area of our life. Mm. And that's why I like the idea of something being systematized, you know, it's like, okay, let's talk about what those steps are. Cause then I know, okay, I'm going to focus on that myself. I'm going to journal it. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk to a mentor about it. Mm. You know, mm. I'm going to mind map it in, and meditate on it. Um, yeah. One day we'll talk about neural art, which Ooh, is like a really cool idea. But yeah, it's not really got much to do with this other than <laughs> other than there are so you might think about oh how do I how do I, you know, change I'm gonna go write in my journal, right? But that's only one form of um, contemplation, right? So mm-hmm. there's other more visceral ones that are not wordy on writing sentences and one is called neural art so in the mm. holidays i read this really cool book called um art and your brain cool. and it talks about how the effects of art the transformational effects of art and different types of creativity on you um, which is really interesting because you know in the christian tradition the christian tradition has been such an artistic and creative tradition for two thousand years but anyway it's another thing <laughs> but neural art is one of those ones if you want to if you want to grow in something then you know draw it mind map it um, if anyone's super nerdy, just Google neural art and have a look at all the different ways that you can, you know, grow and and embed mm. things in your life by some of those particular practices. Wow. Yeah, cool. But Is ultimately it in- it's like the practical way to keep it in your head and then to get it in, get it, you know, get it circulating through your brain enough that your brain goes, oh, he's serious about this. You know, mm. <laughs> that's <laughs> contemplation and preparation, sending your brain the signal. Wow. And... and you know, the role of community in that is important because it shapes you all the time anyway. We've all had friends that started working somewhere and we're like, oh, man, mm-hmm, they really mm-hmm. changed since they started being, you know, like. Totally. Right? So you leverage that positively. You don't ditch all your friends and family, but what you do is you go, hey, I'm going to find one or two people or three people who are good at this and I'm going to put myself in that setting and get into it and be mm. changed by that company. I've definitely found that just um, in my last kind of thoughts. I've found that as like. I've gone from being a school chaplain, hanging out with kids every week mm. to working at the church more. Um, I found that my own mental space has changed just by the people I'm hanging out with. Is that right? Um, more, yeah, those colleagues know. is way more negative. It's uh, harder <laughs> to get things done. Way more immature. It's dropped a few levels. I'm just not, I, I'm not up to date on the latest memes, really. That's the big difference. <laughs> no, tell me about it. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Mm, good reflections, isn't it? Mm, yeah. On how we make a virtuous life, our reality and cultivate it. Cause I'd hate to think that we again, just talk about it, but then we kind of walk away going, that was nice, mm. but we don't actually implement that change. Cause yep. ultimately we're either here to 
see our life change or stay the same. And if you stay yep. the same, you're ultimately going backwards. That's exactly right. It's uh, drifting and you're going to drift backwards. Current, The current take, you know, the truth is we are changing all the time. Mm. And the question is what are we changing into? Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah. Well, good episode to take stock. Mm. I would say firstly, like look back at your year and highlight where you have changed, um, where those spaces and places have really brought that active change and then look forward with greater intentionality of how you can change. Can we have those points again just as a bit of a recap? Yeah. The one, two, three, four, five, no. It is those, those really cool. It's pre-contemplation. I don't know. It's contemplation. It's now in my head and I'm thinking about it. It's mm. preparation. I'm setting a strategy a strategy, and I'm like announcing it. I'm actually finding a way to articulate what that is. Do, 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 there's do, do, do. action. It's the commitment of time and energy required to change. Then there's maintenance. I'm actually going to keep this going. Yeah. Then there's termination. Wow, I'm celebrating a milestone. This has shifted in my life. Now I'll focus intent to move on to another area. It's mm. really cool. be interesting too to like when you're looking at those um, to figure out if there's one you normally fall off the bandwagon at. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. So when you kind of think, like I often say maybe maintenance would be one where people kind of tend to, to drift mm-hmm. away and yep. so then to go, yep. okay, in that space there, what am I going to do to make sure that yep. I don't drift away? So mm. It does happen. Kind of- maintenance is a danger zone because people, you know, it's like if you're driven just by emotions, right? Yeah. Every sermon you hear or every message or every Instagram post you see creates in you the sense, oh, I need to work mm. on that, right? And so then you drop maintaining one because you're picking up five every day, which you cannot <laughs> possibly sustain. You go to work and, you know, or you go to church and you hear like three sermons in a week or mm. something. So it's like, oh, I can't possibly change in everything because it takes six months to change, you know? So yeah. it's like that, um, uh, you know, you've got to be careful that you do maintain the work to change and the yeah. habituation, the thoughtfulness, the contemplation, the acting. And secondly, one of the danger zones in the literature, your public announcement, right? Some people, they think change constitutes the announcement. So I wrote a goal. I wrote a list. I did some neural art. <laughs> I told my friend, <laughs> oh, now I've changed. And so they said, be careful when you do whatever your announcing is because you're broad- you can sometimes self-deceive that mm-hmm. saying I'm doing it is as good as doing it, which yeah. is not, you know. So. That's a good point. Mm, that's that's really a good point. Um, so then in that maintenance just in that maintenance zone before we go, what are some good tips to make sure that we don't drift or stray or jump out? Mm, what I have you guys found handy just even in your own world? But yeah. Make a plan and stick to it. Mm. Yeah. Have accountability. I feel like that's a big one in that maintenance yeah. thing. Yeah. 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 Talk to me about it. Keep talking to me. Ask me next <laughs> week. You know, those things like that's a, that's a crucial one. Have That's why a supportive community. And then the other one is hanging out with the right role models versus just your friends that you chill with. You know, in mm. your mind internalizing that person's a role model. I'm going to meet with them and talk to them about that because they can speak into my Do life. Do you think being gracious to yourself is also part of that maintenance journey? Yes. Yes, because you will fail. But the point is, so so part of the um, action plan is having a plan for, um, you know, what happens if I stuff up and what's my mechanism for coping with failure or dropout, you know, well, I get back on the horse, right? So alcoholics, they they slip up, they go to the pub, they have a drink and then they go, I've blown everything and that's it. Now they're an alcoholic for the rest of their life Mm. versus they go to the pub, they slip up, they have a few drinks and then they realize tomorrow I'm back on the horse again. I shouldn't have done that. I'm not doing it. I'm just keeping on trucking, you know, so... Um, and then the role of community, you know, community, worship, liturgy, yes. meditation, um, that, that you know, for us, I'd say for me especially because I didn't have any proper contemplation or preparation to 
transform some major things in my life. I'm very fortunate that community did that for me when mm. I first became a believer. You know, mm. being in the right environment and the right company gave me something to rise to and change. It's so true though, but try and change in isolation is yeah. just yep. so difficult or change, you know, where mm. you are isolated in a group of people that you're the only one trying to do mm. this thing. Mm. So difficult. So it's, yeah, that you, yeah. I can't, don't think we're going to overstate the importance of, of community. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Awesome. Christian Any- spiritual disciplines, you know, they, they right. exercise change on us. So. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Anything else to add before we uh, tune on out? Good. That was amazing. Yeah. That was really cool. Great thoughts. I feel like we could add more to this space continually, but thanks so much for stopping by to stay connected with us. You can uh, check out Encounter Church TV on YouTube or Encounter Church AU on Instagram. We're all about leading lives that leave love in our wake. So until next time, maybe we can all find ways to do just that. Bye for now. Bye.